series right now titled Dollars and Cents, What the Bible Really Says About Money. And last week I told you that the reason that we are doing this series is because the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, Jesus taught a lot about money. Half of his teachings had to do with money and possessions. So if I were to uh, preach about money as often as uh, Jesus taught about money, then I'd be preaching about it every other week. Or maybe I'd spend the first six months of the year straight through January through June preaching about money. Uh, so we don't really preach about it as much as Jesus preached about it or as, he taught, uh, as much as he taught about it. But there are some very important things that we need to learn considering uh, money. And, and last week we began this series talking about the heart of the matter. And uh, the heart of the matter has to do with what's the matter with our heart. What's the issue with our heart? Uh, where is our heart uh, going or what is it following? Because remember we read that passage where Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and despise, uh, or he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. Right? So we talked about that last week. Now, what we're going to talk about today is really part of that same teaching where Jesus said that. But before Jesus got to no man can serve two masters, he told this very interesting story that has a, a lot uh, to teach us about how to manage money. Remember, we got to learn how to manage money because either we manage money or money will manage us. So we have to learn what the Bible says about this. And so we're going to look at a story that Jesus told right before he said, no man can serve two masters. We're going to find this in Luke 16, beginning with verse 1. We'll get there here in just a minute. About two months ago, a little over two months ago, uh, in, uh, actually I think it's the month of July of this year, there was a story in the news about a contract worker who was doing some work in an ATM in Corpus Christi. This happened here in Texas, in, in Corpus Christi. And while he was doing this work, he got locked inside the ATM. He had actually gone into the room where the ATM was attached, and he'd gone in there to fix his locking mechanism but uh, he forgot to take with him the key card that would let him out. So he not only left a key card in his truck, but he also left his phone in his truck. So he had no way of calling for help. He's stuck in this place. You know, I mean, it's an ATM. It's going to be pretty secure. And he had no way of, of calling his boss to come let him out. And so he tried yelling for help, but nobody heard him. And so he finally got an idea. What he did have with him was a little pad a paper and, and a pen. So he started writing a, a note asking for help, and he was sending, in, sending out this note, these notes through the receipt slot of the ATM. Can you imagine being a customer of this, of this bank, and you drive up, and you get this little note come out of the receipt slot, but it's not a receipt. You haven't even started your tra transaction. It's a note that says, uh, please help, I'm stuck inside the ATM. But most of the people who saw this Started looking around, thinking, there's got to be a camera here somewhere. I'm on TV or something. And eventually, they just left. And they left him in there. So uh, eventually, though, somebody did take his note seriously. And he flagged down an officer who was driving by. And they were able to call his, his boss. Because the note had his boss's uh, phone number. And the boss came and let him out. So um, I thought, what an interesting story to be stuck inside an ATM 
and uh, not to be able to get out. You know, in this series that we're in right now, Dollars and Cents, we're talking about what the Bible really says, what the Bible really says about money. And so uh, today we're going to talk about how to deal with a financial crisis because I suspect that we've all been in a situation where we have felt trapped in a financial crisis, just like this man was trapped in an ATM. He's in an ATM. There's lots of money there, but it's not going to help him. He's trapped. And sometimes we feel trapped in a situation where maybe, you know, we don't have the finances we need. Maybe it's there somehow, but it's not accessible to us. And so we feel trapped by a crisis. It might be a crisis that was caused by our own financial mismanagement. Or it might be a force, might have been caused by a force outside our control. But it feels the same, doesn't it? You still feel trapped. In a financial situation, it causes deep anxiety. It causes, it causes sometimes despair, which is a, a loss of hope. You, you think, oh, what am I going to do now? How will I get out of this situation? And uh, how do we deal with, with a financial crisis? Uh, we're going to look at this through a story that Jesus told. But let me just say this right here at the top. The first thing we've got to do when we face a financial crisis in our lives is we've got to pray. We've got to pray. In fact, we should always make... Our money management, a praying matter. Not just when we're in a crisis, but just when you're trying to make a decision. Do I buy this? Do I buy that? How do I handle my money? How do I spend, how do I spend this money? We should always pray about that. Always ask God, Lord, should I buy this? Should I buy this shirt? No, I'm not exaggerating. God, should I buy this pair of pants? Cer- certainly, should I buy this car? Or should I buy this? Should we buy this house? But even the smaller uh, items because uh, if, if, if we don't pray about our finances, we're saying, I can handle life without God. And none of us can do that. So I don't, and I don't just mean pray when you're in trouble, uh, but pray at all times about how to handle your money. So uh, that's, it's got to start with prayer. But there are some other steps we can take in dealing with a financial problem that we're going to learn from this story in uh, Luke 16. Now, Before we read this, this story that Jesus told, this parable is possibly one of the most misunderstood portions of Scripture. Because when you read it initially, it looks like Jesus is complimenting or commending a crook. The man we're going to read about was a crook. Uh, There's no other way to say it. This is a story about a rich man and his money manager. And the money manager is dishonest. He's cheating the rich man. He's cheating his master. He misuses his master's money. But in the end, the rich man who is, who is being cheated ends up praising the cheater, praising his dishonest money manager. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that Jesus used a, a, this crook. He was very clever. That he was. He was very shrewd. Jesus used him as an illustration of how we should manage our money and how we should handle our financial crises. So, let's look at this in Luke 16, beginning with verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will will welcome me into their houses. 
So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Now, what's going on here? What's happening? Well, the reason for this story is told in this next verse, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's interesting that Jesus would use that story to make that point and to say that the people of this world are more shrewd, even though they might be dishonest, they're more shrewd in dealing with these matters than people of the light, than Christians, than followers of Christ. You know, he's saying sometimes unbelievers, sometimes unbelievers are, are better equipped and they're wiser in how they handle their wealth than we do as believers. So first of all, a couple of things. Jesus is not, and this is so important, he's not praising the man's dishonesty. What the man did was clearly wrong. He was a cheater. He cheated his boss by discounting the debts. So he's not praising his dishonesty. He did praise his shrewdness, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. And, and in fact, that's the second thing about this that I want to just quickly point out is that he's commending his financial shrewdness. Now, what is shrewdness? I try to look up another word. I, I read different uh, translations of the Bible, and I was thinking, is there another word? Other than shrewdness, but it, this word just kept coming back. And there really wasn't another word. I looked at a list of synonyms. And I mean, there's some synonyms out there. But I mean, this is just really the best word, the one that Jesus used, shrewdness. Most of us, when we hear that word, we think of someone, if, some, if we say he's so shrewd, we almost say it in a negative tone, don't we? Like it has a negative connotation to us. Because we think, well, that means he's a, he's a crook. He's a manipulator. He's a con man. He's shrewd. You better watch him. He's going to weasel you out of some money because he's so shrewd. That's the way we, we think of the word. But really, the word shrewd doesn't mean that. Here's a great definition that I found of shrewdness. Shrewdness is three things. Keen awareness, astute intelligence, and clever resourcefulness. Keen awareness, astute intelligence, and clever resourcefulness. Three things that this man used and three things that we can use when we face a financial crisis. We need shrewdness. We need a keen awareness. We need keen awareness. To, we need to know what the problem is. We need to be able to pinpoint what's the problem. That's keen awareness. Secondly, we need astute intelligence. We need you know, that ability not just to pinpoint the problem, but then to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just lie back and say, well, I guess it's over. I can't handle this. But come up with a plan. Know the steps to take. And then 30, we need clever resourcefulness. We need to know how to get out of the mess we're in and, and find a resourceful way, a resourceful way. Now, we want to do an honest way, an honest, resourceful way to get out of it. Some people are very resourceful. Others, we, we need to think about it. But, I, you know, I, for example, I find that, that moms are very resourceful. I remember one time that uh, one of our children, I think it might have been uh, Joey, uh, had the next day had 
to dress up as an Indian, and I, I don't know how we didn't hear about this until that night. I know it never happens to you, as parents, right? Your kids don't ever wait till the night before to tell you what's going on. But uh, he was little. I mean, we, we probably should have known. But at any rate, he had to dress up as an Indian. And so how do we do this? And I, I you know, I don't have any ideas, but my wife did. You know, she, before she got a little uh, paper sack. Remember paper sacks before the, the plastic bags? You know, and, and she managed to cut out a hole for the head and drew the, you know, the hole, made it look into a little Indian shirt. And he went to school wearing a, a grocery bag, looking like an Indian. Some people are resourceful. I remember when I was in college, my wife and I were in college. We were both, of course, we were both music majors, both studying to, uh, to be choir directors at the time. And uh, we were both in the choir. And we, we took a trip uh, every, every spring. We take a choir trip. We'd go perform at different high schools and do some recruiting. And so... Our choir director, his name was Dr. Shear, and Dr. Shear was, uh, he, was a good, he was a good man, he was a good choir director, but sometimes he could be kind of harsh, and uh, he did not hesitate to dress down uh, students in the middle of class if somebody made him angry, and two things made him angry, being late to his class. I remember some poor guy came in late to his class, and he just reprimanded him, he just dressed him down in front of everybody. I just felt so bad for him. Guy just stood there like, and uh, and the other thing that made him mad is when you didn't have what you were supposed to have for the class. I mean, you had to be ready. And so we're on this trip, and we're about to perform the next day. We had gotten, I think we we're in San Antonio. We got there that night, so we're at the hotel just kind of hanging out. And one of our friends realizes he doesn't have his bow tie. You know, we wore tuxes to perform. The men did so. Then I have his bow tie. It's, it's midnight by now. There's no place to get it at the time. You know, this is back in the 70s. No place to go out and get a bow tie at midnight. And uh, so he's really worried. And, uh, I, and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to get in trouble. I don't know how he's going to get away with this. The next morning we got dressed, got on the bus. He's wearing a bow tie. So uh, I asked him, where'd you get the bow tie? And he says, look, look closely. I looked. It was a sock. It was a black sock. He says, man, I was really worried what I was going to do. So he managed to make a bow tie out of a sock. He was resourceful, you know. I probably would have given up, you know. But he found, he found a way. So he's probably wearing just one sock to the concert that day, but that doesn't matter. So he was resourceful. So, uh, again, Jesus, getting back to the story, Jesus wasn't commending this man's dishonesty. But you've got to appreciate someone who is shrewd and is able to get out of that situation using his shrewdness. You know, when I go to a doctor... I don't ask a doctor, are you a Christian? I've gone to doctors who, uh, who are Muslims. Maybe you have too. And they're good doctors. I don't say, you know what, you're a Muslim, you can't treat me. I don't ask them, you know, do you believe in God? Are you an atheist? I don't want you. If you I don't ask them, do you speak in tongues? Because I'm a Pentecostal and I only want Pentecostal doctors. I don't worry about that. I want to use their area of expertise or I want them to use their area of expertise to treat me. And I think God allows that. I think God uses that. So uh, you can learn even from a crook. Just don't copy his dishonesty. Just copy the right things that, that he did. So here are some things that we learn, some biblical attitudes about money that I think will, re- will, re- will reduce your stress during this crisis and prepare you for the actions you need to take. The first thing we learn from this story of the shrewd money manager is that what we think we own is really on loan. What we think we own is really on loan. 
The first verse says, there was, Jesus said, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So who owned the possessions? The rich man did, not the manager. I don't really own anything. You don't really own anything. It all belongs to God. It was God's from the beginning. It's going to be God's at the end. You didn't bring anything into this world. You didn't uh, bring anything and you're not going to take anything with you. God just lends it to you. It's on loan. He lends it to you for a few years. And, and you know, this, this money, the money that you have, the money that you have in your account, the money that you have in your pocket, in your purse, that, that money belonged to somebody else before it was yours. That money in your account, somebody else had it. If you could trace it back, somebody else had it before it was yours. And after you're dead and gone, somebody else will have that money. It's not really yours God lent it to somebody else in the previous generation. He's going to lend it to somebody else in the next generation. You just get to use it for this period of time. But everything you have in your life is on loan from God. So then, we have the role of being managers of this money. Managers of these possessions. We manage what God has lent us. Because everything you have is a gift from God. God gave you your health. And he wants you to manage your health wisely. God gave you your freedom, and he wants you to manage your freedom wisely. God gave you your mind, your intelligence. He wants you to use your mind and to manage it wisely. He gave you your talents. Use them wisely. He gave you money. Now manage it wisely. What I think I own is really on loan. The word management in the Bible, in fact, is an old English word, stewardship. We hear this word sometimes, stewardship. It's an old word. It really has kind of fallen out of, out of use, except recently we hear uh, people talk about the stewardship of the earth or the stewardship of the environment. And so it kind of gives us an idea of what that means. We, we manage. A steward is a manager. Stewardship is management. So, and that may not seem like a big deal, but it changes the way we deal with money when we realize, we understand what I think I own is really on loan. Secondly, we learn from the story that one day we're going to give an account to God, an account of ourselves, an account of the things that God has let us use for our lifetime. Verse 2 says that he called him in, the rich man called the manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. All right, so there comes a day of reckoning. There comes a day in which we have to give an account to God. One day, God is going to do an audit on your life. So you do an audit, a life audit. You're going to stand before God and God is going to say, what did you do with the resources I let you have during your lifetime? What did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the talent I gave you? With, uh, with your freedom, with your relationships, with your intellect, with your health. How did you treat your body? I gave you health. How did you treat your body? What did you do with what you were given during your lifetime? And so one day I'm going to have to give an account to God on how well I managed the money that he allowed me to have for my lifetime. You know, they used to say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I guess that's not true anymore because of the Internet. Everything's on the Internet. But it's not just that other people see your bad behavior in Vegas or, or anywhere else. God sees everything. He's aware of everything, and, and that's why God uh, tells us in His Word that one day we're going to give an account. 
Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This is a day of reckoning you cannot escape. And that's what this part of the story is about. Because the, the owner comes and says, I want you to give an account. Give an account of what you've done with my money. God's going to say that to you one day. And so this guy, this man, knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. When the owner, when the master told him, hey, I'm hearing some stuff. I need to meet with you. I need you to give me an account of all my possessions. So he comes up with a plan, very creative plan, a very clever scheme. It's dishonest, but hey, he's got a plan. So he brings in his master's debtors, uh, the people who owe his master money. And he says to the first one, how much do you owe my master? The guy says, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager uh, told him, okay, take your bill and sit down quickly. And he says, and make it 450. 50% discount. That's a good deal, right? So the guy's going, okay, all right, yeah, I'm not going to say no. He, he agrees to the 50% discount. Then he goes to the next guy and he asks him, uh, how much do you owe? He says, I owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give you a discount too. Uh, 20% discount, make it 800 bushels of wheat. Now, what's going on here? This guy is cheating his, his master. What he's doing is totally unscrupulous. The, the boss hadn't told him to do that. But what he's doing is he's, he's making friends because he's know he's gonna be, he knows he's going to be out of a job. He's making friends for when he's out of a job. He can go back to these guys and say, hey, remember? Oh, yeah, hey, I can help you out. You, you gave me a break. I'll give you a break. So he's thinking maybe they'll give me a job. Maybe they'll take me to their home. Maybe they'll lend me some money. He's building these relationships as a safety net for when he's out on his own. Again, he's not commending his dishonesty, but what he did was very clever, was very shrewd. He did three things that I want us to look at here that we can incorporate into our lives when we face a financial crisis. And so here's what he did. He looked ahead. The first thing is he looked ahead because shrewd money management means looking ahead. Shrewd money management means looking ahead. The first thing he did, he said, okay, what am I going to do now? After the, his owner says, I need you to give an account. Let's set up a meeting. You going to have to tell me what's going on. He looked ahead. He's asking this question before he even goes to the meeting where he's going to give an account. He hasn't even gone to the meeting yet. He knows what's coming. He hasn't been fired yet. He hasn't gone to the meeting. Before he goes there, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking, I'm going to have to find out what I... He's not going to like what I'm going to have to tell him. He's going to fire me. So he's looking ahead. You know, the number one reason people are in debt is they don't look ahead. They think in, in the short run. They have this short-term thinking. They're not thinking about next year. They're not thinking about five years from now. Or they may not even be thinking about five weeks from now. They're living for today. They're making decisions based on today. I see something. I want it. I'm going to get it. They're not worried about the future. I, even though I can't afford it, I'll just charge it. I'll buy a house I can't afford. I'll buy a car I can't afford. I want, I'll go on a vacation I can't afford. 
I want it because I want it now. And so they're not looking ahead. It's a short-term thinking. And that is the opposite of planning ahead or looking ahead. The Bible says that not looking ahead and not planning ahead is foolish. Because here's what happens. If you don't look ahead, if you don't look ahead, you're going to spend money you don't have. If you look ahead, you realize, okay, I'm not going to have the money, you know, five months. Uh, I certainly don't have it now. I won't have it in five months. So then you make a different decision. So this guy, he knows he's losing his job. He looks ahead and he says, okay, what am I going to do? The Bible says this in Proverbs 14, 18. The prudent, the prudent understand where they are going because they look ahead, right? They understand where they are going, but fools deceive themselves. Fools deceive themselves. And I think many people today are deceiving themselves about their financial situation. They pretend it's not a problem. They keep ignoring it, hoping it'll go away. But it's a problem. And it's not going to go away. You've got to look ahead. You know, people who maybe bought a house they can't afford, you know what, they need to face the fact and maybe need to downsize. People who, who buy a car that they can't afford, and you know what? They need to sell it. They need to look ahead and say, this is, this is a problem. So sell it, get a cheaper car, face the facts, stop pretending it's a problem. This man knew he had a problem. He didn't hide it. He says, I'm going to get fired. So he said, what shall I do? He's looking ahead. All right, so he looked ahead. The second thing is he planned ahead because shrewd money management means planning ahead. I can't just look ahead and say, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's going to be bad. Okay, well, so do something about it, right? Like that commercial of the credit monitor. Yeah, do something. I, you know, I'm, I just monitor your credit. I don't do anything. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Well, you know, you, you've got to plan. In, in, in verse 4, this guy says, I know what I'll do. First he says, what will I do? What should I do? Then he says, I know what I'll do. He came up with a plan. It's a dishonest plan, but it's a plan. And many people don't have a plan. Many people don't plan ahead. You have to have a plan if you want your plan to succeed. I want God to bless me. I want God to bless my plans. Well, what what is your plan? You've got to have a plan for your plan to succeed. You can't succeed in your financial plan if you don't have any financial plan. And some people think that planning is very unspiritual. I've heard people say, oh, I'll just, I just trust the Holy Spirit. I just, just go through life and I'll let the Holy Spirit guide me. You know, no, that doesn't work. I mean, I, it just doesn't work. God gave you a mind. In fact, sometimes we say, Lord, show me your will. And I think there's a legitimate, that's a legitimate request. God, show me what I should do here. Maybe you have a decision to make. Okay, you need, to, you need God's will. But in many cases... God already gave you His will when He gave you a brain. God already gave you will, His will when He gave you your mind. He solved most of your problems when He gave you intelligence. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Why would God give you a brain and then tell you, don't use it? Put it on the shelf, don't use it, don't use your common sense. He wouldn't do that. He revealed much of His will for your life when He gave you a brain. Now, I understand that there are things that, you know, we have to pray about and maybe even fast about. There's a decision we have to make. And and God has a right to change our plans. He does it all the time. If we miss something, that's okay. God can redirect us. But still, we are to plan. 
Now, what is a financial plan? For some people, this is a bad word, but the financial plan is called the budget. A budget. I heard, I heard a little something out there. I don't know what it was. If you don't have a budget, you don't have a financial plan. You're just winging it. Now, a budget, all a budget is, is planned spending. That's all it is. You, you tell your money where to go instead of it telling you where to go. Some people say that money talks. I guess it does, but I know money walks, and it just walks away. They were like, have you ever wondered, where did all my money go? Right? So you have to have a plan. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to have a budget, and I've heard this. I don't have a budget. I want to be able to spend all the money I want to go out to eat. Well, spend all the money you want to go out to eat. Put you know, put all the money in dining out in your budget. Put $500 a month there. That's what you want. But you're going to have to take some money out of buying clothes, your clothing, or somewhere else. I mean, you've got you to get it from somewhere. If that's what you want, go for it. You decide. You make your budget. Nobody's doing it for you. You make your own budget. But you've got to have a plan. Because if you don't have a budget, it can lead to problems. If you don't have a budget and you have credit, oh, that's disaster. So budget just means you determine where you want your money to go and don't wonder where it went. So he, he looked ahead, he planned ahead, and finally he acted quickly. Because shrewd money management means acting quickly. Notice that when he, he got the hint he was going to be laid off, he immediately set this plan into motion. In fact, when he talked to the debtors, he, he told them, okay, you owe 900 gallons of oil. Sit down quickly, he said. Quickly, change it to 450. The other guy, quickly, change it to 800 bushels of wheat. Before he gets laid off, he's acting quickly. One of the problems that we do is that we keep delaying what we know we have to do. Whether it's downsizing, selling something, we... Making a decision, making a financial decision, we keep putting it off, putting it off, and procrastinating. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. How many times have we heard teaching on a budget and we still don't do it? How many times have we heard that God blesses us when we tithe and we still don't do it? How many times have we heard teachings like this on um, using our money wisely and how the Bible says that uh, that, uh, that when we owe money, we're slaves to the creditor. And, and yet we never change anything. Someday, someday, someday I'm going uh, to start tithing. Someday I'm going to uh, start using a budget. Just, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But uh, if you say that, you know, someday is no day. One of these days is none of these days. What you're doing is procrastinating. And, you know, procrastination is a habit that only brings sorrow. Can I get an amen from anybody who's been there besides me? Procrastination is a habit that only brings sorrow. Nothing good ever comes from procrastinating. Every day you delay taking a step a wise step in your financial life. Every day you delay, whether it's a budget, selling off some stuff, doing that garage sale, downsizing, whatever it is to get you out of debt, to paying off your bills. Every day you delay, it's worse and worse. You need to act quickly. And you can't say, well, I'm just waiting for the right time. This is the right time. 
In fact, Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. This is a time. I mean, if you're always waiting for perfect conditions, it's never going to happen. There's never going to be the right time, the perfect time to get your finances in shape. This is the time. It's time for action. So my question to you is, what action steps will you take? You better act quickly like this man did. This is what we're learning about his, uh, his shrewdness. This is what Jesus was commending. Not his dishonesty, but his shrewdness. He acted quickly. You better act quickly. You might feel overwhelmed with your financial condition. You know what? You're not alone. You're not alone. God can help. And many of us have been through those, those days and, and If you're like me, you might think back and say, oh, that was a dark day. I'm so glad God got me out of that. We've been there. You're not alone. God can help. And His financial principles work better than anything else you could possibly try. So what is your step? What do you need to do? What you've got to do, do it quickly. Start by the understanding. This is a foundation. This is a context that everything you own is everything you think you own is really on loan and that you're going to give account for that. And then look ahead, plan ahead, act quickly. And the most important thing is the one we started with, pray, pray. Get on your knees and pray. Last week I asked this question and I want to ask it again. What do we do when we're in a financial crisis and we have problems? We pray, right? Every one of us, we pray. And it might be a whispered prayer. It might be a get down on the floor on your hands and knees or on your face and call out to God type of prayer. But we pray because we're asking God to come into that situation to help us. Well, my question is, is if you know you'll eventually call on God in the middle of a financial crisis, why not just do it now? Why not do it every day? Every day. Why, if you know you're going to ask God to intervene your, in your financial situation, why not ask Him to intervene in your life right now? Why not say, God, come into my life. I surrender my life to you, every aspect of my life, not just my finances, but my relationships, my habits, everything. This is the time to give your life to Jesus.